Okay, May the 13th, 1981, a young Turkish man by the name of Medet Ali Adja. He had traveled to Italy from Turkey. He had made his way there. He was wanted back in Turkey for a murder. And he had come to Italy, to Rome, to assassinate Pope John Paul II. And as Pope John Paul went through St. Peter's Square that day, Ali Aja made his way as close as he could to the Pope and pulled out his pistol and began to fire. Pope John Paul was shot four times, critically wounded. Uh, he was immediately rushed to a hospital where he spent six hours in surgery and 22 days in the hospital before he was even released. Ali Aja was apprehended at the scene, tried, convicted in an Italian court of attempted murder and given life in prison. Well, later that year, Pope John Paul II, he visited an Italian prison and he went to see his would-be assassin, Ali Aja, the man who had shot him four times. He went into his cell and sat with him for a half an hour. He held his hand. He said, I forgive you. And he left saying, I have made a new friend. And they literally did become friends. Later, when John Paul II was sick, he actually received a get well card from Ali Aja. Now, the media was absolutely captivated by what happened. In fact, it made the cover of Time Magazine. Uh, do you guys have the cover? Right there. Pope pardons the gunman. And uh, the Pope actually went to the Italian government and asked them to pardon Ali Aja. And uh, when that finally did happen, uh, the Turkish government got a hold of him. But you see them holding hands. And, and literally the world was shocked by what the Pope did. But we as Christians, uh, we shouldn't be shocked. Because Jesus, even in the Lord's Prayer, taught us to pray and to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, when when uh, that story came out, I, I just thought, what a great example of what a Christian is supposed to do. You know, the disciples come to Jesus in the 18th chapter of Matthew, and, and they say to Jesus, they, but well, Peter actually, you know, the vocal one, he says, uh, how many times do I have to forgive? And he thought he was being very generous by saying seven times. And Jesus shocked Peter and everybody else and said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And of course, Jesus was not figuring that you'd have your, your pad out keeping track. He was just saying, you need to have a continual attitude of forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness needs to be a decision that's made beforehand. That no matter whatever happens, we're, no, we're going to forgive. And, and the truth is, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is forgiveness. That you keep, that, that you're ready. And when something happens, you just forgive. You remember when Judas came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss? 
immediately, Jesus' words were friend, friend. He, he didn't hold that against him. And on the cross, he gave us the best example of all when he prayed and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But as Peter is talking with Jesus and the disciples are all there and 70 times seven, the disciples' response is this. And it's an important response. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So, so what, here's what they're saying. Why don't you catch this? They're saying the way you forgive is by faith. That's what they're saying. So they're, they're saying this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Right? It's not like you have all this warm fuzzy all of a sudden. Oh, they're so wonderful. That's not it at all. It is a decision that you no longer demand any recompense from them for what they have done. And Jesus even tops that off. And he says to pray for them. To pray for those that spitefully use you. Pray for those that mistreat you. So Jesus, as the disciples are, are saying, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus tells them this story. He, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. You remember what you and I live in? We live in the kingdom. Right? Christianity is not like a kingdom. It is one. It is a kingdom. Right? And he said, it's, it's, it's like a, the, 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 this rich man who these people owe him money. And there's a man who comes to him who owes him what literally is billions of dollars. And he says, oh, please forgive me. Even just give me some time and I'll pay you everything. Not a chance. How many of you, if you owed $10,000 over time, you could take care of it? How many of you, if you owed a billion, you're buried? I mean, there ain't no chance. There's no chance. And there is no chance this guy's going to be able to pay back. Because just give me time. He's dreaming. All right? And, and, and his Lord says, look, I just forgive you. Well, then he goes out, Jesus said, and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, just give me some time and I'll pay you. But he wouldn't. And he has him thrown into the debtor's prison. And when his master heard, he called him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due him. Jesus said, so my heavenly father will also do to each one of you if from your heart you don't forgive your brother his trespasses. You know, to accept forgiveness, so often we think Christianity is about being forgiven. But Christianity is about accepting forgiveness and it really is a vow to give forgiveness. As much as it is to accept, Christianity is about giving forgiveness. In fact, Jesus said if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. He said if we don't forgive, we'll be handed over to the tormentors. And, and, and by the way, that's just not some words Jesus put in the parable. It's literally what happens. And we'll look in a moment and we'll see exactly what those tormentors are. 
When Jesus gives his, his most in-depth teaching on the subject of faith, in Mark chapter 11, verses 22, 23, 24, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So what Jesus is saying is the number one hindrance to faith is unforgiveness. And he says, every time you pray, he said, forgive. Every time you pray, forgive. Literally, we need to check our hearts every time. And if there's anything against anybody, forgive them. And notice, anything doesn't matter what it was. Anybody doesn't matter what they did. Jesus just said, forgive them, right? Pray for them. Not that they have a car wreck. Pray God bless them, all right? Booker T. Washington said this. I would permit no man, no matter what his color might be, to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. I, I, I love that. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now it says here, pursue peace with all men. In the book of Romans, it says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there, there's some people that they, they, you, you can't live peaceably with. How many I'm talking about? There, there's some people you can't. But as much as it depends on you, you do what you can. Then verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. That root of bitterness, unforgiveness, notice it says it springs up and it causes trouble. My, my favorite translation here is the translators. It says, see that no one falls away from God's grace, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble, listen, and spoil everybody's life. Listen, what does bitterness do? It spoils everybody's life. I want you to listen. The day you forgive is the day you cease being a victim. Until you forgive, what they did makes you a victim. But the moment you forgive, that moment you cease to be a victim. What they did no longer has any power over your life. But it says it'll spring up and it'll cause trouble. It'll spoil everybody's life. I like to say it like this, that unforgiveness, we think we can focus it like a laser beam, but it's like a nuclear bomb. Right. And what I, when I say that, this is what I mean. It, it just affects everybody that's around us and everything that's around us. It's in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9, where Solomon said, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry, because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Every one of us has seen this happen. Right. And this is what it means when it says it spoils everybody's life. Right. You, you are with somebody and you or somebody else says or does the littlest thing and that person explodes. They just go, they just go off the handle and you're thinking, what did I do? Or what did they do? What would we do to make them mad? The truth is you didn't do anything. They woke up mad. They went to bed mad. They've been mad for a week, for a month, for a year, some of them for 10 years and some of them for 20 years. And the Bible says that that anger, it just rests. Right underneath the surface, there's always this anger, and it's, they're, they're just ready to blow up. They can send you to anger management classes, but it isn't going to help. 
Because what has happened, you have either been wronged or you perceive that you have been wrong. And there is this unresolved conflict you have not forgiven. And you think you can focus that anger towards that person, but the truth is this, it spoils everybody's life. That anger is resting right underneath the surface. You can have a smile on your face, but in 20 seconds you can explode. It's there. Solomon said it's resting inside that person, right in their bosom. It's right beneath the surface. And notice he calls them a fool. They're a fool because they don't forgive. They let that thing that somebody did affect the rest of their life. When they could forgive, and from that day on, they'd be free. They'd no longer be a victim if they would forgive. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So the way we forgive is like God forgives. And how many of you know, aren't you, how many of you are glad when he forgives you, he doesn't bring it up again? It's, it's done, you know. You, you heard about the marriage counselor. He's with this guy, and, and uh, they're talking about, about the marriage. And, and the man says, well, you know, every time that we begin to talk, my, my wife, she, she gets historical. And he says, you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. She says, everything I've done wrong since the honeymoon. Right? But when, when, when we forgive like God forgives, right, he never brings it up again. Now, notice it says to be tenderhearted, forgiving. The, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, can we just divorce our wives for any reason? And as the discussion goes on, Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was never so. Gee, according to Jesus, and how many know he's right? Every time there's a divorce, there's at least one hard heart. At least one hard heart because of the hardness of your hearts. Now notice the number one sign of a tender heart, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. You know, if you forgive, you can fall in love with the same person a thousand times. Live happily ever after. If you don't forgive, there ain't no hope. You're just going to be miserable or end up in a divorce court. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Nor give place to the devil nor give place to the devil. I think the, one of the greatest examples of this in scripture, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David goes out and he fights the giant Goliath and there's this great victory. <clears throat> in the 18th chapter, they're coming back. And the Bible says the, the ladies come out and they've got their tambourines and they're dancing and they're, they're singing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the Bible says it bothered Saul immensely. And he eyed David from that day forward. He was angry. It displeased him. Right? Verse 10, the next verse. And it happened on the next day that a distressing, an evil spirit came upon Saul. One day he's bitter. The next day, a tormentor shows up. An evil spirit shows up. And... Uh, the next verse, 
So David played music with his hand, as at other times. And there was a spear in Saul's hand, and he threw it at David and tried to kill him. You know, that, that anger, it erupts. It erupts. But the tormentors that Jesus referred to, it's an open door to the devil. You know, bitterness will not allow you to enjoy your life. Uh, uh, Joyce Meyer's program, Enjoying Everyday Life. I just love the title. In the book of Esther, there's an evil man by the name of Haman. And, and he hates a Jew by the name of Mordecai. The Bible says that he went home and he told everybody of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, how he had advanced him above all the officials and the king's servants. Moreover, Haman said, besides this, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come to the king, with the king to the banquet she'd prepared. And tomorrow again, I'm, I'm invited along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing. All this means nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Now think about it. He's probably the second richest man in the world. He's got 10 children. He's got everything money can buy. He's got fame. He has position. He says all of it means nothing. Why? Because he's bitter. He's got unforgiveness. He's got hatred in his heart. You know? And when, when, when we don't forgive we do not enjoy the blessings that God has for us. And the truth is we hardly even notice those blessings when we don't forgive. Right? Jesus, of course, taught on forgiveness, forgave Judas, forgave on the cross. In the book of Acts, Stephen is being stoned to death. He emulates Jesus. And he prays and he said, Father, do not hold this sin against him. The heart of the Christian gospel is receive forgiveness and then pass on that forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't make them right. It just makes you free. And you quit becoming a victim when you forgive. You take back control of your life, right? And you can begin to experience the good things that God wants in your life. But forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. Martin Luther King, he records his struggles with forgiveness in a letter from the Birmingham City Jail. It's an amazing document. It's actually scrawled out on a bit of newspaper and on toilet paper. And then it was smuggled out of the jail by some friends. Outside the jail, southern pastors were denouncing him as a communist. Mobs were yelling and screaming, and excuse this, but they were actually screaming you know, hand over the nigger. The policemen were threatening his unarmed supporters. In such circumstances, King said that it took him several days in order to achieve the spiritual discipline that he needed to forgive his enemies. He said he actually went and fasted and prayed to get the, to the place where he could forgive. And he explained, he said, we love men not because we like them, nor because their ways appeal to us, nor even because they possess some kind of a divine spark. We love every man because God loves him. 
And I would add to that, we love every man because of the value of every man created in God's image. We love them and we forgive them because of their value. We forgive them because we have been forgiven. Between 1915 and 1917, there was a horrendous genocide that took place in Armenia. Uh, we tend to think of, of radical Muslims, radical Islam as something new. But it was very much alive a hundred years ago. And there was this brutal, brutal genocide in which 1.5 million Armenian Christians were murdered. And there is a really famous story, well-documented story, about a Turkish officer and his soldiers. They busted into a Christian home. And first, the officer murdered the mother and the father. And then passed off the two daughters to his soldiers where they were, they were gang raped. Then he took and he shot and killed the younger daughter. But he took the older daughter for himself. And uh, she literally became his sex slave. Over time, she found opportunity and was able to escape. She survived the genocide and became a nurse. One night, a, several years later, a wounded Turkish officer is brought to the hospital where she works. And by lantern light, she sees who it is. She sees that it's the officer who murdered her parents and her sister and who had brutally raped her and beaten her over a period of years. She, she was shaken, but what she did, he was in extreme critical condition and she nursed him back to health. She, she, she spent extra time, extra effort on him. And through her exceptional care and devotion, he survived. After he regained consciousness, one day the doctor said to him, if it had not been for that nurse and the extra care and exceptional work that she did, you would have died. And he looked at her and he realized for the first time who she was, that he had seen her before. And she said, yes, we've met, and I know who you are. And he said, why didn't you kill me? And this is what she said, because I'm a follower of the one who said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Christianity is not just about receiving forgiveness. Christianity is about giving forgiveness. And when you forgive, you get set free. When you forgive, that day, you cease to be a victim. You cease to be a victim. And what happens? Well, let's just tell you what happened to Job. Job was in a, a terrible condition. His three friends came and accused him of everything you can think of. But the Bible says that when Job prayed for his friend, I mean, he was not real happy with these guys for a while. He says, surely you are the people. He said, and when you die, all knowledge will die with you. I mean, he was like, he was not happy with these people. But this is what the Bible says. When Job prayed for his friends, God turned the captivity of Job. When he forgave, 
God turned his captivity. When we forgive, we get set free. We cease being victims. And we can begin to receive all that God has for our lives. All right, would you please stand up for a moment? Now, if you need to forgive, I want to invite you to make your way forward. If you need to forgive someone, I want to give some simple instructions about forgiveness. I want to pray with you. So if you need to forgive, would you please right now just kind of slip out of that aisle, wherever you're over to the aisle, wherever you are, and make your way forward, please. As you guys, could you uh, begin singing Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. All right. Job's captivity was turned when he forgave. We cease to become victims when we forgive. And here's the interesting thing. If the feelings come back, you just keep praying. You just keep praying. It's a decision. You just keep on praying. Jesus said, every time you pray, check your heart. Forgive every single time. Would you go ahead?